Welcome to Back Porch Bible Studies, where friends come and talk about what the Bible says about our God. My name is Deborah Geisels, and I'll be your host on this weekly podcast. You know, it's been said that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. So here, we'll study to know our God, and to know Him is to love Him. So, grab a drink and settle in for an afternoon of catching up and talking about our great God. Welcome, friend, to my back porch. All right, we are in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. We spent all of last week in three verses. And today we're not going to get much further. I hope we get all the way down through verse 10. In verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2, we said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked. And we talked about how dead men can't reach and that we were walking dead. But that's strictly a spiritual condition, right? That's not, we're not really zombies walking around. Spiritually, though, we are dead. We have no spirit because we can only worship God in spirit. And so just like Adam in the garden, when God created man, Adam, what did he do? Was Adam immediately alive? When he first created him, what happened? He took the dirt and made a man. And then what did he do? He breathed life into him. Do you know that the word breathe in the Hebrew back in Genesis chapter 1 is the same word we use for, do you know? Holy Spirit. Spirit. It is the same word that when God breathed life into Adam back in Genesis, it is the same word he uses when he says that he gave us the Holy Spirit, that that word breath is the Holy Spirit. So just as he made Adam alive physically and spiritually, in that moment, Adam was alive with God, in God, and he was breathing up, walking around. When we are born into this world, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. What happened to Adam after he and Eve ate of the fruit? What did God say? Do not eat of this fruit lest you shall, lest you should surely die. And at that point in Genesis 3, all mankind died spiritually. So this isn't a new concept that Paul's introducing here in Ephesians. This is very, very, from the very, very, very beginning of time, back with Adam. So because of that sin in the garden, every child of Adam throughout the generations, have been born dead. I think it's very helpful to know the Genesis. (laughs) See what I did there? Genesis. Yeah. The Genesis of our existence and our beginning with God in our new life as Christians. So in, in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3, we find out just how dead we were and what that meant, that dead men are, are walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, right? 
and that we formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires because we were children of wrath. But then we open up in verse four, but God, I mean, in all of your life, if you have known God at all, those two words are probably the most powerful things that you can ever share in your testimony, but God, because apart from God, I just can't do it. I can't do good. I can't do honest. I can't do truth. I can't because only in God can we worship him in spirit, right? This, this, but God, it is only him that is good in us. Let's, let's dive into this, but God, but God being rich in mercy. What does it mean to be rich? Have, have lots and plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Not wanting for anything. Yeah. Any other things that would describe being rich, being rich in mercy. I had, I looked it up in the, the dictionary. It says abounding in and of highest worth, producing a large quantity of something, generating wealth because of diversity and complexity. Isn't that good? Being rich. I think Paul was alluding to this in chapter one, verse three, where he said, for God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's what, that's wealth. Every spiritual blessing, because Paul's talking here, not about fleshly things, but about spiritual things. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. I want to dive into just a moment here about, but God, because of his great love. With the but and the because, Paul explained God's reason behind reconciling men to himself. And these reasons are totally found in God, right? They weren't anything in us. He just spent those three verses saying we were dead. There was nothing in us. In fact, he'll say a little bit later here that not only is there not good in us, but the only good we do is because of him. And so Paul explained that God's reasons behind reconciling man to himself and these reasons were found totally in God. The reasons are his rich mercy and his great love. His rich mercy and his great love, which he focused all on us. As we were corrupt in our nature and sinful in our practice, we could possess no merit. This is really interesting. Hold on to this whole thought of us not having merit, nor having any claim upon God. And it required much mercy to remove much misery and to pardon such transgression. For every reason for God's mercy and love is found in God, in him. We think we have a little bit of loveliness. And he's like, no, we didn't. Not in our deadness, not in our spiritual deadness. We couldn't, not only could we not have merit, we didn't even want to have merit. It wasn't our, our want to, our do to, because there was nothing good in us. Remember last week we talked about one of the things that deadness wasn't. A person isn't always going to live out as bad as he could be. You could look good. You could have kindness and do good things, 
out of a dead spirit. And we know people like that who have no knowledge and no desire for God. And yet they're good people. They're kind, they're generous, they do good things that doesn't make them spiritually alive. Every reason for God's mercy and love is found in him. We give him no reason to love us. Yet in the greatness of his love, he loves us with that great love anyway. Therefore, we need to stop trying to make ourselves lovable to God. There, there isn't anything. We can't earn that, right? What is grace? Unmerited favor. And simply receive his great love while recognizing that we're unworthy of it. That's hard for our little brains to do because of our pride. We want to be worthy of what we're getting. And so I think a lot of times we tend to work really hard to prove to God he was right in choosing us, right? There's a difference between being so grateful that God would save us that I just want to obey him. I want to show my love for him by doing anything he asks. But that's different than trying to prove I deserved it. One of them comes from a heart that is leading to him. And the other one is because of who I think I am. And sometimes it's just out of self, I wouldn't say self-loathing, but it comes from a place where I didn't deserve it. I know I didn't deserve it. But I'm going to make sure that everything I do now makes him not mad that he chose me. There's no, you, nah, it's not how it works. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Remember when we defined grace last time that it was unmerited favor with no expectation of return. I don't know about you guys, but God's like, girl, I know you can't repay me. Stop trying. And I get that all mixed up in my head. I want to sometimes repay him for all that he has done for me. And what does he require of us? That you love mercy and that you walk in obedience. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Show me your love. Show me your love for me by obedience. All right. In verse 5, yep, we're moving right along here. In verse 5, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This made us alive together is one word in the Greek. It is S-Y-Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. And please don't make me say that because I know. Sizopio, I don't know. Sizu. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll go with that one. <laughs> Made us alive together with Christ. This is such a cool word. I wish, I wish we all knew Greek. Not so that we could say that word, but that we would better understand. Paul, in the whole Bible, this word is only used two times. Now, there are very few words that are only used so sparingly. The other place that it's used is in Colossians 2, 13. It says... When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. He's saying exactly the same thing he is here, isn't he? That he made us alive together even when we were dead in our transgressions. Made us alive together. What does that word mean? 
to make one alive together with another. This is what God did to those who were dead in sin. He shared in our death so that we could share in his resurrection. Look at this. This is so cool. He says, made us alive together with Christ. That with Christ isn't in Christ. See the difference? When he started this whole letter in chapter one, it was in Christ, in Christ, like four or five times in that chapter. This is not in Christ. In other words, he did not make us alive because of Christ. That would be in Christ. He made us alive with Christ. Are you getting it? This is so cool. In other words, when Jesus died dead, he was dead, dead in the grave. All the sins and transgressions of the world were placed on him and he died. He was dead for three days. And then what happened? God made him alive and he raised him up in power and in glory. This terminology here in the original language is saying just as God made Christ alive and raised him up out of the grave, Easter's coming girls, and Easter happened to us with Christ. As Adam lay dead on the ground, a pile of dirt until God breathed his Holy Spirit into him. It is the same thing that happens to us, but God rich in his mercy, and because of his great love with which he loved us while we were dead, dead, just as Jesus was dead, dead in the grave, he made us alive with Christ. That's why baptism is the symbol of our new life, because it shows us going under and coming up alive. Isn't that great? I miss that in some of my other studies of this, the with Christ, because I always felt we were born in Christ. And that's true too. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying that as God raised Christ from the dead, and we say that, that, that it was the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead. And that word power is dunamis power. We get our word dynamite. It's explosive power. That same power that made him alive, what did he do with him? He said he raised him up and seated him in the heavenly places. Well, if you follow what Paul is saying here, he raised us up with him and he seated us with him because when we are in Christ, we are with Christ. That's some spiritual blessing. So what does that mean practically? It means we are positioned wherever Christ is. That's why we can be co-heirs with Christ, that his inheritance is our inheritance because we are with him. Not only are we in him, but we are with him. And spiritually, we are positioned in the heavenly places where he is. Now, we don't live there right now, but that day's coming. That promise was sealed by the Holy Spirit. We just read about that. And that's what he's talking about here, that our presence with Christ has been sealed. And that seal will be opened 
in glory. So when we get there, we will see with our eyes and hear with our ears, and we will be able to wrap our arms around our Lord. I cannot even imagine. I can't even imagine. So he being God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ by grace. You have been saved. He, he puts that in there again, just in case we forget by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Why? Verse seven, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Let's back up a minute. I want to get back to this with Christ, how he raised us up, made us alive. By an act of mercy and love, God resurrects the spiritually dead with Christ, with Christ. A dead person can't resurrect himself. The sinner cannot stop himself from sinning, cannot lift himself up, cannot enlighten himself or liberate himself. You see, we believe in Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. God makes us alive together with Christ. God gives us a new quality of life. That's what Adam lost in the garden. In Christ, with Christ, we are made alive back into eternity with Christ. Do you see that? Isn't that a beautiful weaving from Genesis to now? Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life begins for the believer when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And it continues after our physical death. We have eternal life with Christ. As always, we're going to run over to Romans because Romans helps explain what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. So we're going to read a good portion of Romans 6. I think this helps us understand where we came from and how we get to life with Christ. So if you open up your Bibles to Romans 6, 1 through 18, I told you I was going to read a whole bunch of this. Paul's like, I know this is hard stuff, but I want you to understand. So he says in Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. In the King James, it says, God forbid. How shall we who die to sin live again in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Right? That's the whole symbol of baptism is aligning ourselves with Christ. So verse 3, Romans 6, 3 says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. 
Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. That's where we are, guys. That's where we are with Christ. That as he is seated in the heavens, where he is in the presence of God, we too are with him in that. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, this is interesting because now in verse 12, he says, therefore, do not let any sin reign in your mortal body. What he's saying is we have control. We have now got the power over sin in our bodies. When we were dead in our sin and trespasses, did we have any power over that? No, we were slaves to sin, to our fatal father. He says in verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as, as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either to sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. As being alive in Christ Guys, we have a choice. We didn't have a choice as dead creatures, as being dead in the spirit. But now that our spirit is alive, we have a choice. I talked a couple weeks ago about chocolate having control over me. It doesn't have control over me. Sin doesn't have any more control over me than I give it. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am no longer bound to sin or a slave to sin. Easier said than done, right? Sometimes those sins of my old self seem to cry out and, and think that they have mastery over me. But the truth in Christ is the same. And I need to always have that in mind. If I have been raised with Christ, sin doesn't have any more power over me than it ever had over Jesus because I'm raised with him. All right, verse 17 of Romans 6. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Being made alive in Christ results in a new quality of life. There is one final thing to notice here. These verbs are all past tense. Seated, presented, you are made alive, that's past tense. You are saved by grace, past tense. He raised us up with him. He seated, all those are past tense verbs, aren't they? Well, big deal, why? This is something that has happened, not something that is going to happen. It has already occurred when you believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to work toward it. It is not something that great saints achieve after years of effort. It is something that is already true. And every Christian has experienced this. We were made alive 
with Jesus Christ. We cannot be the same again. <laughs> Even if we tried, we won't be able to do it. Listen, Christians get discouraged and you can say to them, all right, you're discouraged in your, in your walk with Christ. Just stop being a Christian. Just stop. It's, a, it's over. Don't worry about it. You can't go back. You can't go back to not being saved. Yeah, sometimes this life is hard. Sometimes the things that come into our life is hard. Sometimes the, the temptations and the desires seem to overtake us. But you can't ever be dead again. You can't just be happy in your sin again. We were okay with our sinful nature until we knew life, until we were saved by grace. And now, now that we know that life, we can't, we can't go back. We just read in Romans 6 that we were baptized into death with Christ, right? If you take baptism back to John 13, verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, you do not wash my feet. Because that was a symbol of a servant washing people's feet. And Peter's like, you are my Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus says to Peter, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. What? What does that have to do with baptism? Well, if you look at the word baptizio in the Greek, Jesus uses this here in this washing of Peter's feet. In other words, he says to Peter, I need to wash your feet. You've already been baptized. You've already been cleaned by me. You just picking up some dirt along the way. And he's using these words the same as baptized. You've been baptized in me. You just need to have your feet washed. If you take that word in the Greek back to its original language, baptized, it was a gardening term of being immersed and changed. The best likening that I have to that is when you go out in the garden and you grab a cucumber. You bring a cucumber into the house. You can wash it off. This is the washing of the feet. Put it in the refrigerator. But if you leave it in there for three weeks, what's going to happen to that cucumber? Gross. It's going to be a soggy mess, isn't it? It will die. But if you take that cucumber, wash it off with water, and immerse it into vinegar, now what do you have? A pickle. So it's forever changed. Do you see that? That baptism into the vinegar will forever change that cucumber, but it still was a cucumber. It hasn't lost its identity but has been forever preserved. That's what death with Christ is. We've been pickled. In other words, we are forever changed. You can't unpickle a pickle. Once you have given it eternal life through the vinegar, it's still a cucumber, but it's been forever changed. That's what baptism is, that immersion into new life. If we don't understand 
what it is we get in Christ, our thinking is going to be misaligned, right? For sure. But once we understand it, to know that once saved, I can't get unpickled, then I can't lose my salvation. By scripture, we know that to be true. But we have to know what scripture says. One of the things I say over and over again is the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. We can't be secure in the truth of God if we don't know the truth of God. And we can't obey God if we don't know him. All right. I'm back into Ephesians 2, verse 8. We've talked about how God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us. The reason he did it, we're his trophies, ladies. We all make the cut here so that he can show the surpassing riches, wealth of his grace. By us being saved with Christ, being made alive with Christ, we become his trophies. I don't think I've ever felt like somebody's trophy. But if we recognize that it is God's grace poured on me that shows him, I mean, you can't think about that thief on the cross without thinking about how gracious Jesus was to invite him into paradise that day. And we're no different than the thief. was nothing that we did, and yet he gave out of his mercy and his grace to us. So he's going to elaborate on that in verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So let's go back to verse 4. We know what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor given to man out of God's bounty and benevolence. Out of his richness, he gave that because it pleased him with no expectation of return. So we know that it was out of that grace that we have been saved. And we are saved through faith. Now, God gives us faith. Remember, we talked about what faith was. It's a firm conviction based on fact, not an imagination. I mean, I can have faith that the chair is going to hold me, but if I never sit in the chair, maybe I don't have enough faith that that chair is going to hold me. So when we talk about faith in God, it has with it a firm conviction based in truth. But that's not enough because even the demons believe God is who he says he is. The next thing is a surrender to that faith. Faith isn't just, I believe God is who he says he is, but I'm going to live my life any way I want to. That's not faith. That's just what the demons do. Faith is a conduct surrendered to that faith. It is, it is I'm surrendered to that belief. It's pledging allegiance It's giving full loyalty to what I believe. And my conduct is going to be changed by it. I surrender to that belief that God is who he says he is. And my life, my walk, the way I live it out is going to be in alignment with that conviction. All right. That's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. What's not? Salvation's not. Salvation is not from us. He said, for by grace you have been saved. Salvation 
It was through faith. It was in putting all my faith in God. And that, not of ourselves, is the gift of God, not as results of works, so that any man may boast. Because, verse 10, we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God chooses to accomplish this through sharing the grace or favor that Jesus obtained by merit of his righteousness and suffering. Ladies, you remember back in Exodus where Moses goes up to the mountain, meets with God, and he gives him the Ten Commandments. But when he comes down, what has been happening? They made the golden calf. Yes, they were worshiping the golden calf. And Exodus 32 tells this whole story. So if you want to go back this week and read it, you know, God always used the Israelites to illustrate his grace and his glory. So in Exodus 32, the Israelites do this thing that is an abomination to the Lord. They take all their gold and all the treasures that he provided them when they left Egypt and they make this golden calf and they fall down and worship this golden calf. And they are worshiping in the flesh. They are doing not God kind of worship. They're doing flesh kind of worship. And God is done with them. And he says to Moses, forget it. I'm done. God turns away from them and he wanted to destroy them and offered to start over with Moses. Do you remember this? However, Moses realized that he himself remained in God's good graces and he had found favor in God's eyes. So to save the nation, Moses leveraged that favor. He identified himself with the nation of Israel so that he could share the favor he obtained from God with the people, despite the sin they committed. He said to God, this people has sinned, but you said, I have favor in your eyes. Moses is saying this to God. If I have found favor in your eyes, have mercy on us, your people, and go with us and take us as your people. By favor, you have saved us. This is what Jesus did. Just as Moses' favor with God was transferred to the nation, when Jesus died, that favor, that grace that he had with God, he gave to us. And that's why he stands before God as our advocate. It is the favor God has with his son that he shares with us. Back Porch Bible Studies is a ministry of women in Christian leadership. You can find this podcast on your favorite forum or go to womeninchristianleadership.com to find the many ways women in Christian leadership can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Back Porch Bible Studies would like to thank our sponsor, the faith-based business of Millennium Metals, a company founded as a ministry with the mission statement, In Business to Serve Christ.